I'm sorry, I practiced this, Mensonides. Grant Mansonides, he is the youth pastor and worship director currently at Dyer United Methodist Church. So let's give him a hand. Well, good morning. Good morning, and yes, as I've, as I've been introduced, my name is Grant Mansonides. Um, it's been a pleasure to talk with some of you this morning and get to know this church a little bit. I'm um, pleased to know that I'm connected with this church a little bit more than I thought so. Um, some people here that I've met know my family um, from more than a couple of years ago, and it's nice to play a little Dutch bingo um, this morning. I'm, I'm from the CRC. I was raised in Grand Rapids, but serve the Methodist Church right now, and it's a pleasure to be back or to go back to my roots this morning. So thank you for your warm welcome. Um, let's jump in, shall we? I invite you to take a moment with me here. <clears throat> Think of your favorite upscale, fancy, sit-down, dine-in restaurant. If fine dining isn't your thing, that's okay. Um, use your imagination with me here for a second. Imagine that you're out with someone who knows you well. Um, someone you appreciate spending time with, with your spouse, out on a date with a special someone, out with your family. Fill in the blank for yourself. More details. You've been planning on this dinner for a while. You did your research, and the chef in the kitchen is world-class, so you've been told. He got his Michelin star last year, and after ordering his signature special, trusting that it'll be fantastic, you turn to what you really came for, your company, and you get lost in conversation. 30 minutes go by. Complimentary appetizers are gone. Food should be coming any minute, you think. Then 45 minutes pass. Hunger and discontentment start to take root, and it becomes difficult to focus on your company. 60 minutes pass. Your conversation starts to truly devolve. Now you are fully hangry, and the spark of anger threatens to turn into a smoldering fire, so you flag your waiter down, biting back your attitude to ask what the status of your order is. Oh, it'll be out soon, the reply. It'll be worth the wait. Okay. Okay. Okay, you think, calming yourself down. World-class chef, good food. Back to what's important. 90 minutes pass. Now you're mad. Your date is in the middle of telling you something important. But out of your frustration, you interrupt and flag your waiter down and again and ask, perhaps a bit more curtly than before, what the holdup is, and are told to continue to be patient. The food is coming shortly. It's been 90 minutes. What on earth is going on back there? Lord, have mercy. Move faster. I might as well get up and go to the Taco Bell across the street. The food is junk, but hey, at least I'll eat tonight. Your date who's in the middle of sharing something important with you, stares, appalled. There you sit, waiting at the table, having let your discontentment cause you to neglect what's really important. Your company, your date, your friend, your family member looks at you with this annoyed expression on their face. Hey, I'm right here. We're here for this, not the food. Be patient. Be present with me. In the background of our text for this morning, 
the Israelites are waiting at the table. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God promised to Abraham that the Israelites would have land, a nation, to call their own. And as the people, they had been waiting for what seemed like far too long to receive their food, their promised land, their restoration. Their discontentment is causing them to become unfaithful, neglectful even, to their relationship with God, to ignore what's really important and right in front of them. Multiple Bible scholars suggest that at the time that this psalm was written, Moses and the Israelites had been wandering the desert for a number of years already. They were between the Egypt and the promised land phases. To uncover exactly what's been happening in the background, though, I invite you to pull out your Bible if you have one. Uh, I'm going to read from this. I don't think I have a slide for this this morning. But I invite you to turn with me to Numbers 32. Numbers 32, if you need that chapter again. This text is commonly referenced by scholars as a backdrop for Psalm 90. Hear this. The Reubenites and Gadites, who had very large herds and flocks, saw that the lands of Jazer and Gilead were suitable for livestock. So they came to Moses and Eleazar the priest and to the leaders of the community and said, let this land, let this land be given to your servants as our, as our possession. Skip a little bit. Moses replied, why do you discourage the Israelites from crossing over into the land the Lord has prepared for them? Skip a little bit more. The Lord's anger was aroused that day, and he swore this oath. Because they have not followed me wholeheartedly, not one of those who are 20 years old or more when they came up out of Egypt will see the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In their hunger for the promised land, in their discontentment, the Israelites have suggested the spiritual equivalent of canceling their fine dining experience in exchange for Taco Bell. All while ignoring their date and being neglectful to their relationship with God. God in this scenario is a jealous and scorned date looking around with incredulity in his eyes and thinking, what on earth? Come on, I'm right here. But he's also a world-class respected chef, a master of his trade, who has just been informed that his signature dish, the dish he's proud of and is working on carefully, has just been canceled in exchange for a Taco Bell burrito. The betrayal and selfishness of the Israelites is double-sided. So Moses writes this psalm, knowing that his people had sinned. Lord, have mercy, Moses cries on behalf of his people who are faltering in their faithfulness. Relent, Lord, have mercy, and please, act quickly. We're hungry. This psalm speaks to an all-too-human reality. Jeremiah 29.11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. God's people today, like the Israelites, still wait hungrily at the table for God's restoration and for his intervention. We still become neglectful of our relationship with God. 
we, God's people, get hungry, waiting for our food, waiting on God to serve us what we long for, whatever that may be. And it causes us to neglect our relationship with him. And sometimes we even go looking for our own second-rate, fast fulfillment when we tire of waiting. When I was in between my junior and senior year of college, I got the chance to spend a summer in Memphis, Tennessee. The pre-seminary, pre-ministry program that I was enrolled in at the college was connected with the Methodist, plant church, Methodist church plant in the city, the pastor of which was open to taking interns. Now, when I was in high school, um, God had made it clear to me that ministry was the direction that he at least wanted me to move in. Move in. Um, so when I went to Memphis, I went there eagerly, waiting for God to show me, to give me, to serve me what I had longed for ever since, an unmistakable affirmation. Except that's not exactly how it worked. I found myself 80% of the way through that internship still waiting for a sign, still waiting on some kind of epiphany, still waiting on some kind of nebulous emotional certainty, and it didn't come. I faltered. I floundered. I ended up distracted, dissatisfied with where I was. I considered chucking everything. I considered trade school. I considered making careers out of the things I knew how to do, landscaping, house framing, grounds maintenance, mechanics school, doing something with my hands. I ended up distracted from what I was doing and from what, was gotten, from what God was trying to do through me in that church at the time. I ended up neglecting my relationship with God, neglecting what he had given me to do in the moment because I wanted something he wasn't prepared to give me yet. I entirely ignored how he was trying to talk to me and what he was doing at the church, how he was engaging me relationally because I was impatient and hungry for what I longed to receive. Like the Israelites, I had become unfaithful, neglectful because I was discontent. I missed out on what he was doing and saying. I threatened to exchange what God was doing in me and through me at that church and the other few I've served since for a different second-rate option. Does this pattern sound familiar to any of you? I don't need to tell you where it is in your life that you're discontent and impatient with God. As a church community, I know you've been looking for church leadership for a long time. You know what it is like to wait at the table for God. If you're this community, if you're a Christian person, you know what it's like to wait hungrily for God to feed you what you want him to feed you. Sometimes, like Moses, you cry out selfishly, Lord, have mercy, act quickly. Even while he's trying to talk to you in another way at the exact same time. Hunger, when it is misplaced like this, when it becomes discontentment, turns our attention inward and away from what God is saying and doing presently in our lives. It causes us to miss out on important things, the good things as well, that are right in front of us. Like Moses says in our psalm, our lives are short. We don't have long on this earth. Living like this, always in the future, pining for what we don't yet have. Instead of living freely and contentedly in, and being present with God is a fast track to looking back on our lives with regret when, we, when we're older, thinking that we never took the time to truly enjoy and appreciate the good things that he had given us at the time. 
Life lived like this doesn't carry regret for us later. Only later. A life lived discontentedly and impatiently. A life lived focused on what we don't yet have and what we want. A life lived in the future. A life of uncertainty, unrest, dissatisfaction. This is not freedom. This is not a life lived with the peace of God pervading our every moment. It's an exhausting life lived apart from God. Life like this never ceases to end in regret, and this is not a new message either. Even our modern culture seeks to offer us shallow platitudes to combat our dissatisfaction and discontentment. YOLO. Carpe diem. Tell me, have you tried to YOLO or carpe diem? How do they affect you? How, do they, how does that play out? I've found them to be hollow, momentary attempts at peace and contentment that last for a moment, but never really truly satisfy. But our scripture for this morning offers us an off-ramp from this pattern of living, an off-ramp from the rat race, from living a life of perceived scarcity that inevitably chews us up and spits us out with regret for not appreciating more in our lives. The Psalms are famous for offering us ways to express ourselves and utilize our relationship with God in different scenarios of life, whatever they may be. So it's fitting that Moses paints us a picture of a way to be in relationship with God that offers us the satisfaction, the contentment, the peace that we crave when we are discontent in this life. I've decided to call what he lays out in this psalm the practice of radical presence. And, it's, and it has three different parts. Um, but before we go into this, I invite you to turn back with me to Psalm 90 in your Bibles. When you look at and read this psalm, you can split it into three different, three different sections. Worship, Moses worships God in verse 1 through 11. Um, supplication, it's another word for asking God things in verses 12 through 16. And at the very end, there is a commitment that Moses makes. Moses begins this psalm by recognizing that God has been sufficient in the past and worships him for it. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He recognizes God's provision for his people, and after all, it would be hard for him not to do so. Moses had been there when God had provided for the Israelites in the past. He was there for the pillars of fire and cloud, for the miraculous signs coming out of Egypt, for the manna, the quail, the parting of the Red Sea, being protected from Pharaoh and more. God had proven himself sufficient for their needs while they were in Egypt as well as in the desert. In this psalm, Moses begins by recognizing that it is God who protects and provides and worships him for it. The first part of this radical presence idea, is to, is Moses says, is to recognize God's sufficiency. To recognize what God has done and how he has pro provided in the past. And to worship him for it. Second, take a look at the middle of the psalm with me. I said verse 12 through 16. Look at everything Moses says and asks of God. Teach us to number our days. Satisfy us. Make us glad. Show us your deeds. Act quickly, he is saying. 
Moses reminds God that we are short-lived human beings and implores him to act as he has before. Lord, have mercy, he cries. Satisfy us as you have before. Continue to be sufficient. We're hungry. Serve us. Moses worships God for his sufficiency and for what he has done in the past, but he's not scared to remind God of his role in his relationship with his people. And he implores God to continue. Thirdly and finally, Moses ends with a seemingly out-of-place verse in which he repeats himself. Now, when we see repeats in Scripture, it's important that we pay attention because the author is trying to get something important across. Moses adds, establish the work of our hands as his final supplication, as his final request. Moses is, on behalf of the people here, praying to God and adopting a posture of presence. Presence to what God had given them to do right then, to what God was saying and doing through his people in the moment. Moses knew that his people had been missing out on their relationships with God, that they were inhibiting their ability to witness his action in the moment because they were too distracted by their discontentment and what they wanted. So he asks God to continue showing himself, to continue being sufficient and postures himself and his people to be diligently present so that they could bear witness to it. God, through Moses, exemplifies in this psalm how he would have his people act when they are discontent, when they are waiting at the table, as the Israelites were. It is first to remember that God is a sufficient provider for his people and to worship him for for everything he has done. Second, it is to remember that we are in close relationship with God and may request that he work faster through our prayers. And thirdly, it is to be faithful to the work he's given us to do in the moment. And here's the good news. We know how the story ends for the Israelites. They don't stay discontent. We know that God was sufficient for them. Just not the way they thought it would happen. In a long and meandering sort of way, we know that the Israelites were served a heaping helping of grace and blessing. We have the whole story in the Old and New Testament. God brought them out of slavery. He brought them into the promised land. He brought them a Savior, Jesus Christ. And through that, sa- and through that Savior, God has offered a saving relationship with himself to the entire world. God provided for his people in miraculous ways. And all he asked in return was that they were present and in right relationship with him. People of God, hear the truth. Hear the good news. The same God of the Israelites who is sufficient for them, who provided for them, who performed mere miraculous things and called them out of discontentment and into peace and joy through the practice of radical presence, longs to be sufficient for you as well. God has already done much to offer you a relationship with him, and he longs to offer you joy, peace, and contentment. And he also lays out the pattern for how that can be achieved. It is to learn who he is, what he has done, and to worship him for it. It is to pray and exercise your relationship with him, praying expectantly and trusting God to continue to be who he has been for his people in the past. And it is through diligence in what he has given you to do in your careers, in your churches, in your families, and in your communities. Romans 8.26 says that the Spirit intercedes on us for our behalf. 
The Spirit lives inside each and every one of us and is, con- and is in communion with God the Father. So God knows when we are hungry and discontent and beaten down by circumstances. But there is no need to wait distractedly or neglectfully for what we are longing for. This will only bring us more pain and discontentment and regret. As Moses says in our psalm for this morning, our lives are short. Teach us to number our days so that we may live wisely. Teach us to be present with you, Lord, Moses is saying. My friends, God is calling you back to himself this morning. He is calling you back into right relationship with him, and he is giving you a clear pathway to do that through the example that Moses sets in this psalm. He is calling you to turn from whatever earthly thing it is that is distracting you and to return to what he has given you to do in the here and now, to place your trust in his sufficiency. For he has been a sufficient provider for you in the past, and he will continue to be so now and in the future. He is calling you to radical presence. For he longs to reveal himself to you, but he cannot do that when you are distracted. Through this psalm, God is meeting your hunger and discontentment, whatever it may be for or about, and is challenging you to meditate on his wondrous works in your life. He is asking you to adopt a posture of presence while you wait at the table so that you may live in peace and freedom to know his love for you and the miraculous ways he shows it on a daily basis. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God of love and provision and sufficiency, Lord, satisfy us, as Moses says in this psalm, satisfy us every morning with your love. Make us glad as you have made us glad before. Show us your deeds, for we know you have been good to us. And we pray expectantly for you to be good again. Teach us to be present so that we may may witness your action and provision for us in and through the work you have given us to do here on earth. Father, we give these things to you through the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.